Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, Mets fans? Here we are back again for episode number nine of the Mets Up Podcast, Brought to you by James, Shiano, Jeter Had No Range, me, Giraffe Neck Mark. You guys know where to find us. Apple, well, Apple Podcasts. It's not just Apple, it's Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcasts, the social media links, messed up everywhere on social media. I'm not sure if there's going to be a video out for this one, so if you're listening to it, good. That's definitely going to be there. Video-wise, might not be there. If you can tell, I'm in a different spot. James isn't the only new spot available for today. It's going to be both of us here. I'm back home in New Jersey, so... I don't know how the video is going to necessarily work because we're a little bit on a crappier computer at home, but we'll try it out. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, too bad. You're going to have to listen to it. But we had some Mets baseball this weekend. And after the absolutely atrocious series that was Chicago, we had three very, very, we said it earlier, like independent games from each other. Some good, some bad. Yeah, it was as if all of these three games had nothing to do with the others. Like the Mets had different lineups every game. The Nationals seemed to have the wrong lineup every game. I don't know how to describe the Nationals hitters, but they all just seem wrong. Something seems incorrect about that roster. Outside of Trey Turner, that's a pretty horrendous team. And you've been saying it for a while now, but I thought their pitching was going to be able to step up, but Max Scherzer on his own just can't do that. It's crazy. The second best hitter in that team right now is Josh Harrison. And we'll get into this more so, but there's no one hitting the ball hard in the entire lineup. Josh Harrison doesn't have his hands together on the bat. Yeah, his no. His hands are separated on that's the bat. A, that's a new thing that he, like, it's like apparently some kind of revelation that he or hitting coach made with him and mechanics. I don't, I haven't read enough about it to understand it, but kind of working he's kind of having a renaissance he's having a good little start to the season again like we said outside trade turn i mean josh bells looked pretty horrendous awful schwarber too awful bad bad and yadiel hernandez was the only other guy really hitting the ball hard all series but we'll we'll talk about that might as well just hop right into game one right i mean let's talk about it mets took two out of three of course you guys know that you're mets fans but game one was a great way to start the series after the horrendous performances in chicago we got Jacob DeGrom on the mound doing DeGrom things. We were pretty down on Thursday night, Friday morning when you guys listened to us. It was pretty obvious how upset the both of us were. We were having we were having a little too much fun not having fun. It was just a lot of anger, frustration, and a lot of it was probably tied to anxiety as to the Mets putting up another stinker for DeGrom and this thing just, the, the negative momentum just taking this team out of control. But Thank the heavens that Jacob deGrom is a living, breathing God. The man is a deity. It, he, he not only is the best pitcher in baseball right now, but I would go as far to say he might be the best player in baseball. It's, it's, gone, it's gone that far. I wanted to tweet that the other night. I ended up just going with the best pitcher of all time, which it's a crazy statement, but I don't know if we're seeing a pitcher like really have this kind of success over a sustained period of time. Like, yeah, pitchers have had great primes and pitchers have had great stretches. We saw it with Kershaw and I think Foolish Baseball, another, you know, baseball content creator said it well. Kershaw might have been better 
in his little stretch of time than Jacob deGrom, but there's no one that's just like more encapsulating to watch and no one as dominant. Jacob deGrom doesn't just beat you. He destroys you. He, he just pounds you into the ground and he's also hitting, which is even crazier to he, add to the scenario. He's hitting. I don't want to say he's hitting as well as he's pitching, but he is hitting better than a, he's better hitting better than league average. It's unbelievable. He has more runs scored, three, and RBIs, two, than earned runs all year. One. Just that gestures on home run. That's the only earned run DeGrom's given up. And he's accounted for five runs at the dish himself. We were there to see that. Yeah, we were there to see that. We got yeah. to see the one earned run by Jacob DeGrom so far in 2021. <laughs> Real jinx. Yeah, I know. Maybe we stay away. <laughs> but again, like, Jacob DeGrom, he's definitely due for some negative regression. His ERA sits at .31, and his FIP is all the way up at .85. So we have to be worried for that moving forward. Sarcastically, of course, if that didn't come through. But it's just this whole thing is becoming just like really preposterous to watch him pitch. Twitter on Friday night, as it seemed like every single person in the baseball world was locked in on Jake. He broke Shane, the, Shane Bieber's record that for strikeouts through his first four games that he broke from Nolan Ryan, like, what, last week? <laughs> yeah, you were talking about it. We mentioned you're like, you know, everyone's, you know, I think you said sucking off Bieber. You're like, DeGrom's going to destroy that. It's not going to be even close. Yeah, and we were talking about the swing strike uh, number from DeGrom. It went up to 24.2 after this last start. His K, his K rate went up to 49.5. Corbin Burns, I saw a tweet, Alex Fast tweeted this. It was wild. It was, such a funny way to say this, but it's crazy that Corbin Burns has started off the season with 40 strikeouts and no walks and is unequivocally not the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. Like, no one would even argue that. Jacob deGrom was must-watch baseball. He always is, but really against the Nationals. We might have seen possibly the best game that he's ever pitched. I know he's taken some no-hitters deep into games. <laughs> That's the third time you said that this season. That this is the best game I've ever seen Jacob deGrom pitch. I know, and he just keeps, he just keeps <laughs> getting better. He just keeps getting better. I mean, what was it? 15 strikeouts was a career high, I believe, right? Yeah, it was. Or at least tied a career high, whatever it was. And... He was throwing, I mean, 100 down to the final pitch. His slider was on point. I mean, you don't strike out 15 guys and you're not on point. He went nine innings, and it was the easiest nine innings I've really ever seen a pitcher Dude, throw. the craziest thing was that he only threw those two pitches basically the entire game. He was 51% four-seam fastball, 42% slider for nine innings. He sprinkled in a couple change-ups. That's freaking ridiculous that he could do that. He sat 99 the whole time, the whole goddamn time. And I think the first inning, he was only throwing 101. I think I saw like four or five 101s in a row. I'm like, this dude is literally like just, he's playing a different game right now than everybody else. It doesn't seem pot, it doesn't seem real, the things that are happening, especially watching Jacob deGrom's entire career to the point we've gotten to now. It's like, is he lying about his age? Like, is something, is something else going on here that we don't know about? And dude, he he was so pinpoint pristine with everything. Uh, Baseball Savant does the release point graphs. After every game, you can go to their player breakdowns, illustrate the release point. His release point, every single pitch was like exactly the same. Like it's basically the same dot. There was no difference. He did not throw any fastballs below the knees this game, and he didn't throw any sliders above the belt. He was completely locked in with those two pitches. He was putting them anywhere he wanted. And the craziest, craziest, craziest stat from this game is DeGrom only encountered one three-ball count this entire Friday night against the Nationals. And it was a 3-2 count where the count was worked back to 3-2, and he broke off a 3-2 changeup and got the strikeout. One of the handful he threw the entire game, and he broke it out in the only three-ball count he had. Like, I was watching the game, we're at Ernie's house, and you guys don't know who Ernie is, but I'm going to just say, because James knows who Ernie is, and we were watching at his house and or apartment, and it was just like, we stopped what we were doing, and we're like, this guy is literally doing things that 
like some of the greatest players of all time do. Like we're experiencing what is going to go down as one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Like he is somehow only getting better. It doesn't make any sense. Pitchers don't do this. I don't care how many innings you have on your arm. You don't all of a sudden turn, what is he, 32, 33, I think he is? I think 33. I'm double-checking you right now, but 32. He'll be 33 June 19th, Jacob DeGrom's birthday. Everyone circle it on your calendar. Yeah, well, everyone wish him a happy birthday. But you don't go into your 32, 33-year-old season and start throwing 101 and just get so significantly better than you've been. And you were also a two-time Cy Young Award winner. Like, okay, yes, you could have been a Cy Young Award winner and continue to get good. But he is like pitching. He's MVP talks right now with how good he is. Dude, yes. I was actually about to bring this up. I just added to the notes since we started talking. Jacob DeGrom started the year at 50-1 to for MVP. And as of Saturday morning, he's at 16-1 to on the regulated sports books. I'm not going to say them because we're hoping for a sponsorship someday. But Of course. Give me that money. For, for a pitcher to have moved that much. And J- Jacob DeGrom has only appeared in four baseball games this season. And his odds have traveled from plus 5,000 to plus 1,600. Like, he's one of the guys where you, I don't think you even need to necessarily understand baseball or know what's going on. But you watch him and you just go, he's really good. Like, he's just, he's better than everyone else. He makes baseball simple. Oh, I throw hard. You don't hit it. And I also step up to the plate now and I get hits too. Like, he's no Shohei Otani. He's not hitting 450-foot homers. But he's hitting 500. And I think he's like, I think his, every number is Six for really 11. Good. That's that's 545. He got the RBI double in the game, which broke, you know, got the got us on the board because God forbid the Mets runners or hitters ever score for Jacob DeGrom early in the game. We I kind of want to get to that, but we were, we were texting some pretty cynical shit. In the first five innings of that game, when it was 0-0, and Eric Fetty was shutting out the Mets. Eric Fetty, who actually looks better than years past so far, but I digress. He's still not good. He's Eric Fetty. The bats woke up, but I think it's only because Jake woke them up. Like he, he, t- he took the sleeping, the sleeping teenager and just shook the shit out of him. He's like, listen, guys, look at what I can do. I'm going to pitch and hit. Now you guys just have to do the thing that you're supposed to do, which is hit. First period starts in 11 minutes. You have to get out of bed. You have to get out of bed. <laughs> I like that analogy. I like that. Because he really did wake them up. After that, they did start to put in some better at-bats, start to, you know, no, but it's, it, it's also, position. it just really felt like more of the same until until he got the RBI double. It was like, oh, shit, this, here we go again. We're going to go six, seven, eight. It's going to be zero, zero game. Jake's going to lose with, like, in the 10th inning of a shutout. It's going to be terrible. A solo homer or something. But we, as we know, that didn't happen. Mets got a, what, 6 nothing win, I think it was, on the first game? 6 nothing, which... 6-5, sure. I would love to know the last time the Mets scored six runs for Jacob deGrom. I mean, we've got to be talking about 2015-16. That's an exaggeration, but it feels like that. The one other thing about the lineup I wanted to talk about, not the lineup, about a certain player I want to talk about from Friday was Lindor. I have different notes I want to say about these last two games about him at the plate, but he looked really good at the dish Friday. He put three hard-hit balls in play, two over 105 miles an hour. It felt like he was turning a corner. It feels like he turns a corner every game, and then he turns back around the corner. I got some stuff I want to say about that later once we get into game three. And then, yeah, like, the wonky lineup, it was a little weird. You know, DeGrom hitting eighth, which uh, ahead of Tomas Nito, which is always a little bit of a slap in the face to the hitter, but also DeGrom is just a better hitter than Tomas Nito, let's be honest. Yeah, it, it worked. Like, I was really skeptical. I was like, oh, this is shit. I don't like we're trying this stuff, but... DeGrom's just a good hitter. We can't really deny it anymore. anymore. And McNeil put the bat in the ball a couple of times too, nicely too. Yeah, I think, I know McNeil's struggling, but like, I think he definitely likes to hit towards the top of the order a lot more than being like that middle of the order kind of guy, like at the five or six spot, because he just looked a lot more comfortable on Friday night. He looked a little bit more like the Jeff McNeil that we've known and seen and, you know, been watching for the last few years. The rest of the series is a different story, but... 
He did get a hit. It was weird. It was like a hard hit sandwich. Like the only guys who put the ball in play over 95 miles an hour were Nimmo, Lindor, McNeil, DeGrom, of course, and Nito, who put together, Nito put together some nice at-bats. Which is surprising because Nito in the past has had some atrocious at-bats. He's looking better. Yeah, but going back to last year, Nito's put out a couple, like a nice sample size where he's an okay hitter. And he had great hitting chops all throughout the minor leagues. Like I'm pretty sure he won a singular double-A batting title. Dating back to the beginning of last season, Nito, it's a very small sample. I know that. There are only 37 plate appearances, but 116 WR C plus slugging 500, 5% walks, 19% strikeouts. Backup catcher who's great with the glove. You get away with that seven days a week. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, like in the minors, he had some hitting success in the past. I know I've looked at his like perfect game profile, even from when he was a high school player. And one of the things that they like raved about was how good his bat was. So there is a bat somewhere. Sometimes it looks like he's swinging through water, but at other times he hits the ball pretty well. Oh, he just seems he he's like the consummate catcher at the plate, where he seems to be very he seems to be aware of at least what's going on. So when he when he's on, when he looks good, calling Thomas Nito on ever is kind of weird, but. I think we're talking about Thomas Nito too much. Let's move on to game two. <laughs> yes, let's move on to game two. Game one was fantastic. Big win. Mets needed it. And you thought that was going to be the game. Would that have, would have been, Yeah, it seems like going to get some momentum. We picked up Jake. We're on the roll. Ace number two is on the mound. And that did not happen. No, game number two was pretty horrendous for all around. And like... It felt like a DeGrom hangover. It basically got off to a terrible start right from the rip when the ball got hit to Conforto on right field. And he just straight up missed it. And Harrison got a triple out of it. Yep triple you know quotation marks that that was just a bad recipe for the start of the game because Stroman even got out of it pretty well Dom made a strong throw at home he still scored on a sack fly from I think Yadiel Hernandez or whoever hit it at the time and Stroman got out of it only giving up one run but it started it kind of set the tone for the Mets you know early on the ropes down Stroman didn't have his best stuff which I know you're going to go into a little bit here it was just not like a, a clean game for the Mets no it was a, I said the board the ground hangover it just felt like a dead fish game it felt like no one was even motivated tasked to being there it was on FS1 which I didn't really appreciate again I'm watching I'm watching these games from the Midwest so I don't have as much access to Gary Keith and Ron as I'd like but it just I don't know the whole thing felt like a strange game it was like I don't, just wasn't exciting to watch but to get into Stroman a little bit, this is just this is just the Marcus Stroman slash contact pitcher experience. If you're not striking guys out above like a 20, 25% clip, there's going to be days where the ball gets put into play. When the ball gets put into play and your team's defense isn't great, sometimes it's just not going to look that good. One thing I really didn't love about yesterday's game with Stroman is he leans in with the sinker more than any other start this year. He threw it 53% of the time. His next most thrown pitch was his slider at 22%. He didn't throw any four seamers, first time all years, and I didn't love that because I thought he's had a little bit of success with it. It was nice for him to mix it in, change the eye levels a little bit, and with that pitch mix, he only induced five whiffs the entire game, which also is just pretty bad. When you, if you're not the Brewers or any of these other elite defensive teams, you can't, you can't win like that, especially when you have two guys in the outfield making errors. Like, it's just it's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, the Mets defense also, like, that they threw out there wasn't strong. I know they're trying to, you know, ride the JD train here a little bit because his bat has just been incredible. But he, he now, he didn't make any errors. He didn't make any issues in this game. No, like, no, no, no. Yeah, problems. yeah, yeah. It was just, just ricochet shot for J.D. Davis because he deserves it after this week in the field. Yes, but, uh, but, like, the idea is that, you know, the Mets defense is terrible. The Mets defense is not good. Their best guy this year has been Pete Alonso, who is not That's a good disgusting. Fan. But just even knowing that, I wish that Stroman would lean into that and try and induce some more swinging strikes. Like his cutter on only 14 pitches thrown had three of his five whiffs on seven swings. That's a very good percentage. Like you would, I would like to see Stroman 
because he's done this in the past. He did it in 2019, and he's done it in some starts this year to really beef up that color usage because he commands it damn well, and it's still 90 miles an hour with some like good horizontal movement. The one guy this year who has the largest jump in color percentage, I don't want to compare these two guys, but I'm going to compare these two guys. I'm not going to compare them. But I'm going to mention it. Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns has more than doubled his color usage this year, and everyone's seeing the results. Of course, I don't think that Strowman has the Corbin Burns ceiling because he doesn't throw 97 miles an hour, and his and his slider doesn't spin faster than all the plants in the galaxy. But it's just the idea that there is a repertoire inside of Marcus Strowman's skill set that could be much that could better fit this team's profile than what he threw out there yesterday. Yeah, and the Nationals lineup is just, it really is so terrible. I don't want to give these guys a shot to hit ground balls and find holes. That's all they can do is hit ground balls. They're lucky to find holes. They all stink. That lineup was awful. The lineup is consistent of Starling Castro, Josh Harrison, who Josh Harrison's hot. He's playing well, but he's still Josh Harrison, and I'm never going to, be fearful of him except when he plays the Mets. Yeah, he, kill, he, he, kill, he kills the Mets. He kills the Mets. He's, He's a also, killer. That Joe Ross ribby single yesterday, that was a backbreaker. Oh, once that was the, a killer. Yeah, once that happened, you kind of were like, this game's probably over. Yeah, they just found a lot of holes. And like, Strowman, I think, even admitted himself. He's like, I just didn't have it. Like, it, I didn't pitch well. And that's going to happen. He's been so good for us all season long. Not anything I'm worried about. I know you have mentioned a couple times the K-rate thing is something to keep an eye on. I mentioned it literally, I think, two episodes ago, or maybe our last episode, that he, he a guy like Strowman, he's going to oscillate. He's He was due for regression because he just doesn't strike enough people out. Balls are being put in play. Things are going to happen. That's an old-ass baseball saying right there. You put it in play, good things happen. Now, one thing that Strowman wasn't responsible for was, again, the offense falling asleep, which seems to be something that we are probably going to deal with all year long of just, there's just going to be games where we are ice cold. And that was one of them because Joe Ross is not a good pitcher where you shouldn't be like. No, he's been better this year. He's been better, but his stuff isn't ever where you should be getting shut out by Joe Ross with the quality of a lineup that the Mets have and the amount of left-handed bats that we have that are good hitters. Like there's no reason to not touch up Joe Ross. This was the only game of the series where I looked at the lineup and was like, nice, good lineup today. Literally Friday and today, Sunday, I was like, what the f- what's going on here? Yeah, but like we got the Conforto home run, which you you talked about it. You're like, it's a lazy, you know. Yeah, I saw a lot of people on Twitter. This could be our bad take of the week. I don't have any hard tweets to show, but I remember people being like, oh, Michael Conforto, another home run. I think actually, you know who said this? Frank Fleming. Frank the well, Tank. Frank, uh, Frank yeah, the Tank. Yeah, I know. He's a, Whatever he big, is. Big narrative guy. Yeah, loves a good narrative. But like, it's just like lazy thing to say that, oh, Conforto only hits home runs when the Mets are down big. He, he, Mike Conforto has 119 career home runs. This is only the fourth one ever when the Mets were down five or more. So everyone, shut the fuck up about Michael Conforto only hitting home runs when the Mets are out of the game. He's not Alex Rodriguez. Like, give, give the guy a break. He's starting to swing. He's starting to swing the bat better. He is starting to swing it better. I've seen him hit a couple off the wall, you know, the last few three or four days, even in Chicago, hit one off the wall. Still doesn't look like he's there. He still looks like no, he's yeah, sleeping. A little uncomfortable. And the, the game on Saturday, the start bothered me, and I think he even made like a horrible throw at one point. He did make a bad and it throw. And it was just, it's frustrating because it feels like where we've been hoodwinked, we've been swindled, because this is not the Michael Conforto. Bamboozled. Bamboozled. This is not the Michael Conforto that we've been seeing. I'm waiting for him to wake up. I think he's getting closer, because we are seeing better at bats now. We're seeing better quality at bats. The you know production's just not there yet, but I think he's getting closer and that's at least a good sign me like many of you Mets fans out there Michael Conforto is my mom's favorite player so every single time he does anything that's even remotely good I get a text all caps Michael I'm like ah, no one even calls him that and then it didn't help that Stephen Tarpley also came in and 
Smell you later, Stephen Tarpley. I think that might be your first and last appearance as a New York man. We might see Stephen Tarpley in July once we get a rash of more injuries that we have to get ready for. Thank God Gazelman saved the pen yesterday. That was pretty nice. Three innings out of him of, what, one-hit baseball, I think, and no runs. That's really strong. And that's the kind of stuff like we need from Gazelman because even though the Mets lost that game, it put us in a good spot for today where we didn't have our bullpen that was being used. He ate up three innings. That's huge. That's huge. And if it wasn't for Tarpley's blow-up, we're in that game still. Definitely. But that, we've touched on it a little bit this year, but that is going to be Gazelman's role this season. He has to come in and just mop shit up. When we're winning by a lot and we're losing by a lot, you have to save everybody else. Just help everyone else, please. And if he can do that for us, that's fantastic out of Robert Gazelman, part of the C-team bullpen, as we've mentioned. We saw a lot of C-team bullpen today. We also saw Jacob Barnes, who had another good Okay, outing. yeah, no, the cutter actually looks like it might be coming around. He's certainly still part of our C-team, but he looks he's gone from simply horrific to possibly mediocre. He's gone to maybe, hey, you come in the game and I don't go, oh my God, I'm going to turn the game off and watch a different channel. You go, all right, he might get, to, he's all right. He's oh, had some clean fine. innings. Yeah, something can happen there. And also just to throw it back to Conforto real quick, I just noticed this. He put three balls in play yesterday, 100 miles an hour. That's big. Just keep doing that, man. They'll find it. Especially it, even with Jacob Barnes, like just the reps. Guys, are, the Mets are finally starting to get into that string of games now where we've played days in a row. Granted, two off, today, two off, that, two off days this week. <laughs> Yeah, two off days this week, which is insane. That's I don't know such how a crazy. Comes up it's with a crazy schedule. You're starting to see these guys playing a little bit more. It's starting to be a little crisper baseball. Um, and Jacob Barnes, I think, is a good way to show that that at, when he doesn't have 15 days off between appearances, he's not atrocious. Yeah, catch a he rhythm. Gets out. Nice little yeah, rhythm. He gets out. So if you're gonna find any positives out of the game, the C, C team bullpen picked it up a little bit, despite Stephen Tarpley, but he was only up again because of you know guys being used so much recently, and you could send people down like Hildenberg. Um, Hildenberger? Hildenberg? What is he? We've been calling him Hildenberger. I'd like to stick with that until we're proved otherwise. Until he's back on the roster and I can see his name on SNY, he's Hildenberger. That game was, a, it was just a bad game. You lose. You lose some. The Mets, it wasn't like the Mets blew this game. They just lost. were the worst team. Yeah, they, they were lost. the worst team some, on Saturday. Sometimes you lose. Those are the games I'd rather see than when you rip my heart out and stomp on it and go, ah, remember when you thought you were going to win? <laughs> Not this time. Quickly, i also like to just mention that Familia worked a very clean ending. Looked pretty good. You know that's my boy. Yeah, somehow for some reason that is your boy. I don't understand how or why. He's got why. nasty stuff. He's got nasty stuff. I love Familia's stuff. Yeri's Yeri's Familia is like a walking aneurysm for a Mets fan. Every single Mets fan looks at her Yeri's Familia and just like <gasps> clutches themselves and just falls over. It can't. I I just can't. I I like him. I appreciate him. He's a fine member of the bullpen, but I will never trust him. He's he's a great B team bullpen guy. He's the guy who it's five run lead. He can close the game out in the ninth. He I'm might, cool with that. He might still be a member of my C team. I don't know. I haven't I haven't I I have I haven't I haven't released my rankings yet. Now we move on to game three, where game three was a win for sure. It was a win. Yeah, you were stressed about this lineup this morning. I was super stressed about it because I saw what do we see VR and Almora and I mean let's just call Almora what he is he is a defensive outfielder and even then he's like I mean he made a nice play today which nice play he made an incredible play I retweeted it just before we started this show and you'll see it hopefully if you follow me on Twitter it's either had no range but there is an unbelievable call on in the Spanish station of Albert Morris catching center field everyone's got to watch it it's electricity back to this lineup thank god we have JD Davis Jumbo Dong mashing in the middle of it because if not for him we we probably, I don't know how this game would have gone. Was it called JD Davis 877 runs now? That's the meme that everybody's trying to run with. He has been fantastic at the plate. As bad as he is in the field, he is so good at the plate. Astoundingly good at the plate. Like he is crushing the ball. And he also 
owns Patrick Corbin, literally lives in his backyard. Dude, can it, four, the, though, too, for some reason, which is really funny because the lefty-lefty. And VR got the start today, too, because VR also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Howie mentioned that on the radio broadcast today. It's so weird that all these guys just own Patrick Corbin. He's historically been, like, one of the better pitchers in baseball for the last five years. We put three random guys together, all happened to own him. Almor made a great catch. That's, you know, when he comes in and plays, that's what he's got to do because he's not going to offer you anything with the bat. No. But if he can make plays like that, hell yeah. Go play center field for me late in the games. I'm in. Dude, the next inning, he, like, put a writhe into one, and it looked like it was going for a second. It just died, like, 25 yards <laughs> feet before the fence. Like, oh, yeah, it's not about more hitting. I remember. Taiwan was... I, so I was in the car for most of the game, so I was listening to it. So I can't really tell you what I saw, but I can tell you what I was hearing. I listened to most of it, too. I watched the first two innings, then I hit the car. And that first inning was a little bit stressful. He It was a very shaky start for Taiwan. He just couldn't really seem to locate anything. And thank God he picked off. That was Harrison he picked off. Because it was a hit, pick off, hit, and then like a couple three-ball counts. And it was stressing a little bit. and then But he really did settle in afterwards. He still wasn't particularly sharp, but he got bailed out by some very quick innings. Mets played pretty good defense today overall. Nationals ran into a couple other outs in the base pads. Victor Robles turning second to third on a leadoff gapper as an eight-hitter is mind-boggling baseball. Especially when the pitcher's up next and he's going to bunch you over and you're going to get there because you're Victor Robles. So you're not getting out at third. Being on third base for the pitcher being up is not that big of a deal. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not you, the infield's probably going to play tight and he's going to hit a ground ball somewhere. Or strike out and you're in the same spot, but you risk being out and that's exactly what happened. Mets executed a great cutoff, which was nice to see. Yeah, that was actually awesome. That was a really good play. But back to Taiwan for a moment, he just didn't look sharp. He just kept kind of pitching the contact and it was working at first i thought it was going to be like his last couple of starts where he couldn't he couldn't really find the distance but balls were finding gloves and he mixed he mixed up his repertoire very well today he had threw four pitches at least 16 percent of the time and his fastball led the way at 34 percent and then the splitter the slider and the sinkle were all just like very casual parts of the repertoire he could these guys couldn't find him it was awesome it's awesome to see that it was really seemed to be like a grown-up pitching moment for taiwan walker where he didn't really have the feel of these off-speed pitches but he could locate them just enough to get out and not get the strikeouts his velocity was down a little bit he was sitting 93.7 today which is about a whole tick lower than he sat the whole year but again this is taiwan walker we're seeing him move on from a young guy with stuff who we can't corral to the inklings of a wily veteran who can do things on the mound to get his team out and get length when he doesn't have it all working. It's a gutsy performance. I love calling pitching performances like that gutsy because there were moments in the game where it could have just blown open. I mean, he walked Patrick Cor- Patrick Corbin pitch today. Yeah, pa- walked Patrick Corbin on four pitches. Dude, that that was right. That was the batter after the Robles thrown out of third. He, those four pitches weren't even close. After the first three balls, he <laughs> he stepped off the mound and like took a roundabout. And he's like, ah, big exhale, he sighed, he stretched out, he got back up. Pitch was so far outside. It was crazy, the fourth pitch. I was like, why'd you even take the break? It's so funny to watch, like, especially in this series, because we got to see them all three in a row. You have Jacob DeGrom on the mound, dominant, calm, cool, collected. You wouldn't know if he's pitching bad or or well. Then you have Stroman, who's out there, who, you know, a little, little flamboyant. He's got a lot of emotion, a little bit of this. And then you got Tyron Walker, who's like a little bit of the bulldog in that. Like, he's always like, <sighs> it looks like he's always like ready to just like run through a brick wall. And he's he's walking around the mound. He'll say shit to the umpires. Like, it's so interesting to see the different kind of personalities that the Mets pitchers have. And on any given day, they're going to be, you know, also great pitchers as well. And Taiwan, even though he didn't have the stuff today, again, it kind of goes back to that bulldog mentality a little bit. He just got through it. He pushed through it. He didn't have the stuff, but he pushed through it. He he really, he bodied it. To, to take a really weird word, I was just feeling it. He bodied this game today. 
facing a triple-A lineup, but, like, the guys who can do damage, they didn't do damage. Trey Turner didn't touch the ball. Schwarber put a ride into that one center field when the game wasn't a balance with two men on, but Almora made the catch. He picked him up. Like, get good defense, you pick up good pitching, and you execute on offense. Timely hitting, this, this is a recipe for winning baseball games. The one negative I did want to pull from this game today is I there were a couple instances where Lindor, this happened this whole series, this whole season, he just seems to be squeezing the bat too tight. His pitch selection isn't there. He see, feels like he's just trying to do too much. He showed frustration today after he had a 3-0 count. It was fifth or sixth inning. I think a man might have been on, but I'm not positive, so don't quote me on that. Oh, Alonzo may have just run a walk. Like, the idea that he took a 3-0 pitch right down the deck, or like it was middle in, and then he lunged at a sinker that was, like, low and falling out of the zone. Like, it's exactly what he wants you to do. Like, he, like, he is in his own head and not – it doesn't seem like he's – He's not played the carefree guy that we've seen for years. He's playing tight. He's reactive, not proactive. He's not aggressive in the right times. Like, there's just... He showed frustration. Showing frustration in the first inning is crazy. I think I think when you get... We'll endure with the 300 and whatever million dollar contract is 300 million. I'm just going to call it that because I don't remember the exact number. I think he wants to prove to Mets fans like, hey, I'm worth it. I'm going to be your guy. I'm going to be that player. And... I think that's like not necessarily the right mentality for someone like him to have. Like we saw him in spring training. He was balling out and it's because he was trying to prove, you know, like be like, I'm good. You're going to pay me. This is what you want. Where now it seems like something is switched and it's, it's probably something as small as just like him putting extra pressure on it. Like instead of trying to just be the player that he is, because when he is playing his, his game, he's one of the best players in baseball. There's no doubt about it. They put up a stat the other day during the Mets game where it was like players who hit 30 homers, 40, uh, 40 doubles over a three-year stretch or something like that. And the other guys that were in that same like boat or whatever and an 850 OPS, same guys that were in that boat were Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, Lou Gehrig, and Alfonso Soriano. Alfonso Soriano is a weird outlier because he's a freak of nature baseball player that we'll probably never really see again. But the other three guys are first basemen who hit for power and are some of the greatest hitters of all time. And I know it's a small sample size to call him one of the greatest players of all time. He's definitely not there yet. But we know that he can play like that. And he's just putting so much pressure on himself. Probably a little bit too because the Mets fans are a little antsy. The team's a little antsy. He's waiting to be that guy. He's brought in here. He seems tight. He's tight. And that's not Francisco Lindor. He's Mr. Smile. I need to see some smile. I need to see those teeth. And... The frustration could be building over because he did put a he did hit a couple balls really hard two days prior. He didn't really get much to show for. It. He put that mammoth foul ball. Went, what was that? He had a mammoth foul ball today. It's not mammoth foul ball, but he hit a foul ball that was like a snidge away from being out, like a nice oppo oppo shot. It's 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 so close. He's take he like up until this point, he was taking good pitches. He was having good at bats. He was drawing a lot of walks, not striking out very much. He's just. The pitch, pitch, usually issues in pitch selection come from, especially when a guy has such a long track record, they come from pressure. It comes from thinking too much. Yellick had this problem last year, right after he signed the contract. He was swinging at everything. He was trying to make all $250 million in one game. Like, that's not what you're here for, man. Just play your game. You're one of the best players in baseball. Just stick with it. Trust the process. Just be you. Be you. And I think a thing, even like JD coming up right after him and hitting the home run, I think really does help with like, like taking a deep breath and being like, okay, like even though I didn't do my job, someone else picked me up. And that's like a huge thing. Like that's what makes baseball like such an interesting team sport is that it's so individual, but it still is a team thing. And Lindor failed at his opportunity to, you know, make a move, but JD picked him right back up. And even knowing that there's going to be someone there to get you, that makes you play a little bit looser. That makes you play a little more relaxed. And it just seems like that's something Francisco Lindor needs right now. Cause really up until this weekend, the Mets have just not looked 
particularly strong at the plate. There's been a lot of pressure on Lindor's shoulders because he's hitting at the top of the order, right in the middle of the lineup. Nimmo's on base every friggin' at-bat. And he just hasn't been able to do anything. So he's definitely feeling the pressure, like you said, playing tight. Not worried about him, though. He's going to figure out. He's too good. He's simply too good. And he's a historically slow starter as well. Oh, is he really? I didn't even know that. But I have a fun question for you. Would you move him down in the order to relieve pressure? I was thinking about this actually today. I think right now, as crazy as it sounds, I put McNeil back in the two-hole because I really do think... Or you either go... Nimmo, Alonzo, Dom, JD, Lindor. You hit Lindor five and you go Confort. But it's it's such a weird order. Yeah, it's a weird order. Because that's not conventional at all. And you can't hit Lindor five. Like, because he is going to break. I don't know. I don't know what to do with the lineup here. I've. This is one of the few times where, like, Luis Rojas has been experimenting with guys at the top. As long as it's not Kevin Pillar and Albert Almora. Yeah, besides the first I'm not game of the season. Yeah, I'm not going to complain about the top of the order because he's trying to figure it out. It seemed like Pete in the two-hole, did pretty well the other night. So Pete, Pete seemed very comfortable in the two-hole. I kind of liked how that looked and felt, especially with the lefty-righty, lefty-righty. It's still like, it was the same exact premise, and it looked pretty good. Yeah, I don't know if Lindor in the three-hole is the right move. I don't know where he goes right now. I think at the end of the year, you probably are going to see Lindor hitting three or two. I think that's probably where he finds a home. Yeah, I think, I think, I like Francisco Lindor in the two-hole. We've said it since our first episode. He that is, I think, the premier lineup construction. But when you're not hitting, you're not hitting. And there's a lot of rallies that have died at the hands of Francisco Lindor. And you're waiting for that moment where he does it, he does it, he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And it just hasn't really happened yet. Hasn't come yet. It's going to come. It's going to come. There's no way it doesn't come. These The Mets are too good. These guys are too good for them not to hit for the entire year. Like, there's no way Francisco Lindor sticks with an OPS below 600. There's literally no way. I would bet anything. I'd bet my firstborn. Who cares? Naming rights to their firstborns, if... Francisco Lindor finishes with an OPS below 600. Yeah, Chalu- There's just no shot. Chalupa, Batman, Shiano. Yes, of course. That's that's a winner right there. Maybe he'll be hitting third for the Mets one day. He's The lineup is... I don't know what to do because the guys that are playing well right now, you play the hot hand and move them up, but you also know that's not the right place necessarily. Yeah, and that's them. that That goes against everything we've said about this team all year. It's that you want to have consistent lineup structure. And now they've actually settled into one. We're like, let's change it up. <laughs> like, we're the assholes. It's it's tough. A good, good thing I'm not the manager of the Mets. As much as I like to give Luis Rojas some crap, I sure as hell wouldn't be doing a better job. No, this is so. a, a difficult team to manage. We're still dealing with the fallout from Brody Van Wagner's roster, roster construction, the... Uh, philosophy a little transition right now the one parting gift that brody did give us my boy you shouted me on twitter today but my king miguel castro lanky lanky god he was electric today struck out the side two hits two hits but he struck out the side he struck three guys out that's striking out the side he has really cinched up the middle of this bullpen in a great way i don't know if you've noticed but gary loves him loves him gary he was pitching he was pitching i don't even know if it was i noticed it today or maybe the previous appearance but gary's like Miguel Castro is just like filthy. He, his stuff just moves like he's he. I think he actually said he has the most electric stuff in this bullpen. He's coming out and throwing strikes too, which has always been the big thing with Miguel Castro. Is he always got behind in counts, and the reason he got hit hard was because he was in three zero three one scenarios, and then he would have to throw a ninety eight mile per hour fastball down the middle, which any major league hitter can hit at when you, especially when you know it's coming. But this year he's been aggressive. He's been attacking batters. He's gotten into that mode of like my shit's good. Try and fucking hit it. And I love that. I love that from relievers. Try and fucking hit it, please. Those are the best relievers. Like, I'm going to throw a strike. Figure it out. Hater does that. We've, we've, we've even seen that a little bit more with Edwin, too, this year. Is he's kind of just attacking batters, and it's really worked. And he looked he looked sharp again today. Ended up having a really good series. I think we got to talk about my boy Alonzo, too, a little bit. Four of eight in the series. 
He's getting the power going. He's getting the back going. He looks great. It's average 267 right now, which is if he's... 970 OPS. He's sitting at 267. He drew the nice couple walks today. I love when Pete draws walks. If Pete Alonso is finishing the year at 260, we're seeing another 40 home run season out of him. So. Pete Alonso finishes the year above 260. There's, there's going to be a parade on Madison Avenue. And the Mets might not win the World Series, but it's going to be me throwing a parade for Pete for hitting way, way above his projections. Yeah. And we saw him also again this series, very patient at the plate, which I, I love patient Pete. I love patient Pete. Two walks there. There's nothing that gives me more comms than Pete than when he sits there, he spits on the slider. It's nice. And you see him You see him do his little thing with his bat. He's he's sizing up the pitches. That's when you know he's feeling good. He. Well, I wish he could give some of his good vibes to everyone else in his lineup. He looks so in control at the plate, more so than he ever has in his career. Dude, we just yeah. might be seeing the growth and maturation of, a, of an elite player. And he also... He's been playing really good first base. Yeah, he which is... It's, sick um, play at it's the end of the unbelievable game. how good sick first play. base play. He's still... The tosses to first are always an adventure. He loves to make the pitcher jump and land on the base, which is just, oh my God, my heart stops every time I see the pitcher get into the air. But he also made a great diving stop to end the game, which Pete's defense has very much improved in this short season. We'll see how long it lasts. But right now, Pete Alonso is a much better player than we even saw his rookie season. And I'm really excited to see what he's going to do the rest of the year. He's a bright spot right now in this Mets lineup, along with J.D. Davis. have been really, really good. We'll wrap up right here. Maybe move on. A couple words about the Red Sox series we got coming up. Yeah. Uh, besides, I mean, the first thing I can think about when I hear the Red Sox series is that the tickets are way too expensive and I wanted to go, but they were like $100 to sit upper decks. And I said, nope, not yet. You ain't going to do that to me yet. New York Mets, not in That's April. crazy. The Mets and the Red Sox are such a weird com- combination of teams because their fans are united. There's the Mets and the Red Sox have such a mutual respect for each other just through hating the Yankees. And and yeah, and like I feel like the Mets and like their whole vibe is similar to like the Boston sports vibe where like we're mean, we're underdogs, you know, we're not blue collar. We're not we're not these rich guys over here. We come here, we're, we're a couple blue collar guys. You live and die, you know, blue bleed orange and blue, they bleed red, which is what most people do, but Dude, big big shout out to the people at MLB for scheduling a Mets an off day at home. Well, I guess it's nice for the guys to have an off day between two home series, but then off day on Thursday before heading to Philadelphia. So New York City to Philadelphia, not that far away. And then Sunday, the Mets have another game Monday in St. Louis. Then they got Philly to St. Louis, Sunday to Monday. And then they have a Thursday game next week in St. Louis and then have a home game on Friday against the Diamondbacks. So the Mets have two off days here, sandwiched around some non-travel, and they got game, 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 game next week moving around the country. I'm all for getting on MLB for their horrendous scheduling because it has been terrible to start the year. Always awful. It's always awful. The Mets, thankfully, don't have this thing that most of the other teams have where they'll play a series against a team and then play a series and then play another series against the team they played before, so they wipe out the entire season series in one week. I I love when they do that. It's the best. The the Red Sox, we also get a little bit lucky here too. They're, They're offensively always great. You know they're going to be a great offensive team. One through nine in that lineup can hit. And even like a guy like Bobby Dahlbeck, who has been struggling mightily, is a guy that I do have a little bit of fear for at the plate because he is just so strong. He makes contact with it. It's going to yeah, Definitely. We've been talking about Pete taking that step up as like an elite player, becoming elite Verdugo this year. I've been on this guy for years and years and years. He's been one of my favorite prospects in baseball since I was probably like... 20 years old like he's been around for a minute it's crazy how long this guy's been around the block he's freaking ball player man yeah and jd's back to being an mvp hitter type player uh bogarts bogarts is amazing he's he's hot rafa with the big stick these guys are all hitting they're all hitting they're pitching though we get lucky because we we get to see garrett richards game one which wow garrett richards garrett richards is joining the chase anderson chichi gonzalez club of guys that stink that we get to face i will not i will not put my name on that because garrett richards still throws way harder than both of those guys so i will not 
I will not put Garrett Richards in the same breath as Chase Anderson. You see what Chase Anderson did today? Our boy, you see what our boy Chase Anderson did today? He got walloped by the Rockies. Like uh, the, the the dangerous Colorado Rockies lineup full of Rymel Tapia and Trevor Story, and that's about it. Um, yeah, I, the pitching is weak. We get Richards against Peterson game one, DeGrom against Pavetta game two, which that's a great matchup because Pavetta has been pitching well. Yes, Pavetta's been looking really good. The player that the Phillies thought they had finally showed up in Boston, which, great. Go have go pitch well in Boston. I'll rooting for you, Nick Pavetta, except I hope you get smacked on Wednesday. Yeah, and aside about the Red Sox, we have to start looking at players that the Red Sox acquire like we've been looking at players that the Rays acquired for the last couple of years because Heim Bloom runs the Red Sox. He's the architect of the Rays way. He actually wrote a manifesto. It's called like the Rays. I think it was called the Rays way. It's like their system for player development. I only, I've tried to find copies online. It's sparse. The guy's a freaking genius. Heim Bloom was writing articles on baseball prospectus in like the late nineties, early two thousands as a college student. I think he went to Yale, studied the classics. He's a worldly man. I'd love to have dinner with Heim Bloom. God. A guy like Pavetta looks really good, but then you also have like a Franchi Cordero, which ooh, he's looked about as bad as you can be. Franchi Cordero is to hitters what Nick Pavetta is to pitchers. It's like, why aren't you good? I can try and figure this out. You should be good. You run fast. You throw the ball hard. You you do everything. Why can't you be good? You hit bombs. Yeah, but you're just not good. So I'm probably going to eat my words. I'm going to eat a little crow and he's probably going to go yard. I was watching a Sox game last week and Franchi was up there. One of the Sox announcers is not a fan. Oh, dude, I tweeted about this. I put out a tweet i put out a tweet i said the Sox announcer is not feeling french cordero i'm like he had a terrible at bat and he goes man this guy looks terrible <laughs> straight up said how bad he was i was like oh my god i couldn't even imagine gary or keith to be like man would you would you see that at bat by lindor this guy stinks so like, <laughs> like oh my god they say that sometimes they say that sometimes they say oh that's not a great at bat but the, but the whole like this guy's just bad at the plate oh, like <laughs> i don't think you remember august keith we haven't seen august keith in two years keith after 100 games of the season he'll be like whoo this VR guy, some of these at bats, really bad. Another Red Sox I want everyone to watch out for this series, reliever Garrett Whitlock. I don't know where he came from. I don't even know if he was like a human being or if Haim just created him or whatever, but the guy is disgusting. We're going to see him at least for an inning or two this series, so keep a lookout. Watch him strike the Mets out. Yeah, we got to uh, we got to swing against the Red Sox. They're going to score runs. It's especially against a guy like Peterson, which is a bad matchup. Bad, 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 game. bad matchup for a soft-throwing lefty. They love, especially like when you throw Kike into that lineup, they love a good lefty. Kike smacks lefties. He's been doing it for years. The guy always does It's about does the only thing lefties. he can do. Yeah, yeah, but he, he freaking does it well, and he, and he, plays, he, well. he plays competent defense in multiple positions. No, no Kike. Case Slander. He's a, he's a, no, slander guy's a ball player. He's a ball player, but he's not on my team, so fuck him. Hey, all right. The military man. <laughs> all right. He's a, a, <laughs> sure. I guess, I guess that makes it better. I don't know. But Red Sox, they're playing really good baseball. I don't, you know, we got to win when DeGrom's on the mound, so we got to at least take that, That's going to be, can't lose that's gonna be fascinating. That's by far the best offense that DeGrom will have seen this season. And it's going to be really cool to see how he dices them up. We're in first place. We're winning games, even if we're not playing. That's what I think I love about this, is we're not playing well and we're winning games still. This is not a team that's clicking on all cylinders by any account. It's barely clicking. We After this weekend, place. I don't think it's really clicking on any. No. <laughs> like, DeGrom. DeGrom clicks. That's about it. And and the bullpen. The bullpens look decent this year. Jeremy Hefner, man. Got to give him some credit. He's Got to give him a lot a of credit. Jeremy Hefner is the straw that stirs the drink right now. This guy's amazing. I cannot wait to see what Noah Syndergaard does with Jeremy Hefner as his pitching coach. My God. Also... What we thought was going to be the best division in baseball, the Mets are the only team in the National League East over 500. As we sit here 
on Sunday, April 25th. Braves have no bullpen, Nationals have no bullpen, and their starters are not that good, and their lineup is bad. Nationals are just bad. The Marlins are scrappy, but they just don't have enough Major League Baseball players, and their bullpen is iffy. The Phillies have a couple starting pitchers, and then they have a couple black holes, which, again, we also knew. And this bullpen looks a lot less deep with Alvarado being out this whole week. I think at the end of the day, like the positives take out with the Mets is, again, bad baseball. We're still in first place, and win ugly whatever it's going to take the negative 11 run differential i would like to you know get green yeah at some point. Uh, we'll find a way if you if you don't want me in my first place minus 11 run differential you can have me my august 15th when we have carrasco Syndergaard, stroman and Degrom. that team's gonna be a lot of fun especially when we're hitting oh my god i can't wait for that baseball it's coming though it's coming definitely but that is going to take us to the end of this episode we got a little off track but yeah hey, we we had a fun, fun little ramble we were due for it we've been nine episodes here and we've been pretty on point you know last last episode you got one where we were upset this one we got a little scattered brain weird couple episodes uh this one might not even be on youtube so that adds to the even weirder scenario here we're just gonna miss episode number nine on youtube probably but uh we've been doing pretty well thank you guys all for all the support and all the listens and everything it's been a lot of fun yeah, a little different lo- stuff love the listeners keep reaching do. out to us on twitter love hearing from you guys ton of fun yeah listen to us apple podcast spotify google podcast you can watch us on youtube except for today and uh, follow our social media. I'm Draft Nick. Mark James's Jeter had no range. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode number nine of the Mets Up Podcast. And we'll be back to you, uh, I guess, Thursday after the Red Sox series. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.